This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. Happy Monday, everybody. We are back. Hope you're having a beautiful, beautiful night. Hope you got through the weekend. Tons and tons of self-care and uh, always exploring the different coping mechanisms that we're choosing. Because again, one of the things I really want people to be paying attention to are all the different things that they're using outside of themselves to cope and get through this. And again, it's okay to use food to emotionally cope. It is okay to use masturbation or sex as a way to self-soothe or to cope. Because again, if we can go jogging and do yoga and read and take a bath, we can also eat and masturbate. There's no reason to continue this cultural anxiety around the use of food or sex for us to get our mental needs met. There's no right way to do that. Uh, We often talk in the field about relationship being where everything should get handled or about having the internal resources to cope with everything that's going on. And that comes out of the 12-step world sometimes where there's a pathologizing of any form of distraction or checking out. And in fact, as humans, we need to have what we call a trauma-informed model. And that's what's coming out of this pandemic, this understanding that not only do we all need different tools to cope because we all are entering life or different life events or cultural events with a different history, one of trauma, and this is then triggering that trauma, one of already having had their mental health challenged by being trans or gay or a person of color or differently abled. All these different pieces set us up to be entering the world from a different position and with a different skill set and with a different uh, level of resilience. And so I want us to go easy on ourselves and utilize whatever we feel like we need to utilize. Also, though, paying attention to the impact it has on us, because remember, self-care is things that make us feel better, more nourished. It's essentially some kind of behavioral vitamin, but it shouldn't leave us off feeling bad or worse about ourselves. And just make sure you're checking in on the fact that that piece isn't just coming in from culture shaming the use of that thing, that it really is something that's having a negative impact on you. And if that's what's happening... You kind of want to jump on to the use of something else. I also want to remind you, uh, my new show, I'm Listening Live, that is now going to once a week. It'll be Thursday nights at uh, 5 p.m., and that will still be on all the radio.com handles. So check that out, and you can always send questions into our Loveline DMs, which is always incorporated into Loveline, but also sometimes shows up on I'm Listening Live. So make sure you do that. We are here for you. <laughs> um, also, let me know if there's any topics you want to hear me talk about, because 
I'm always trying to make sure that I'm providing resources, tips, and tools to things that people are going through. Not always things that you might directly relate to, but I always bring up things that have these little gems that I think we all can walk away, you know, from the conversation having learned something or having realized something. And um, yeah, so trying to keep everything hyper relatable. Uh, coming up next in our next segment, we're going to talk about race. It's something that we should be talking more about, something we have to get more comfortable and familiar hearing about and discussing with everyone in our lives, but it's really hard for some people to have that conversation, especially people that are white. Um, it's not something that a lot of us have a lot of familiarity around hearing about, talking about the languaging. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but before we do, I just want to remind us that everything we do in our culture is part of mental health for ourselves and for those around us. Right. And so the goal in improving our own mental health is just improving culture and social norms because we're at the mercy of a lot of these things. And it comes up really clearly when you talk about things related to age, you know, ageism is something that we're all going to have to encounter at some point as we age. And even though it might not seem relevant to you because of where you are currently chronologically, you do know at some point that it's something you're going to encounter and it's something that your loved ones encounter. And so that's why all these different threads of, um, mental health factors or levels of oppression that I talk about, I want us to know that it is something that maybe you can't relate to directly, but you will be able to at some point directly. And maybe at best it'll be indirectly, but I want that to be enough for us. I, I, I said this on my IG once. I want us all to choose one level of um, oppression or psychological struggle and make that the one thing, at least the one thing that we target as individuals in the world, because we all need to be activists and not just around the things that we are oppressed by, but all levels of oppression because they all intersect and align. And as we undo one level, we're undoing so many other levels. And so as this pandemic time is winding down and fast and furiously, things are opening back up. Just use this final stretch to really be self-reflective about what you've done ethically and morally during this time. And even in general, and what moving forward you want to come out of this targeting and thinking about. I want that to be kind of a call to action that there's so many changes that are needed and we don't want to go back to what our familiarity based, excuse me, norms and habits are because those weren't working. So I kind of put that in as the last plea that kind of make yourself a little bit of an activist and have a call to action. I'm constantly on my social media calling out different things. So if you're not really sure where to start, you can start there. And also just the different guests that come on my show, we're always talking about all the ways that mental health shows up for them, what the struggles are, what the work looks like, what the tips and the tools are. So anyway, just choose a level and make that something you're going to work on. But like I said, coming up next, we're going to be talking about race. It's something we're seeing a lot on social media, a lot in the news, and there's a lot of things that we should take responsibility for. And there's a lot of things we can do to help kind of ease the racism in our current culture. And of course, as always, that's absolutely a mental health issue. So we're going to be talking about that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Hope you all having a great night. Um, it's interesting. I, <laughs> I'm used to doing this show on air, right? So I hear all the music breaks and kind of all the different teases and, and, and the flow of the show makes sense to me. But then I remember that this is also podcasted and that's a place where a lot of people access this and they don't have those music breaks. So to them, it just, maybe there's an ad in between and it just kind of rolls into the next segment. So no, for me, at least there's music happening between each of these segments. And so for me, there's a different kind of flow than maybe it is for y'all listening. Anyway, that's just something I thought about. Um, okay. So race, 
Listen, this is something that we all have to take a responsibility for. You know, we live in a very transphobic, homophobic, racist, classist culture. Uh, we do a lot of body shaming. Like there's so many levels of oppression and it's a mental health issue because if you're one of those people targeted by that directly or indirectly, that has an impact on your mental health. We can't just talk about depression as though it's just this isolated thing in a vacuum in the individual. Oh, the individual's depression. Maybe it's a biochemical thing and they need meds. Well, we have to look at all their other intersecting ideas identities and how that might be the cause or something that's amplifying it. So if you're of a larger body or fat identified in our culture, that absolutely is going to be part of your mood and your mental health because you're on the receiving end consistently of a lot of oppression institutionally, personally, also media. Also, if you're a person that's black, anyone who's a person of color at all in our racist culture, that absolutely is going to be a foundational piece to whatever else they're experiencing. So when you're depressed, if you're experiencing depression while gay or depression while black, that is going to be a different version of that. We cannot talk about depression and anxiety as though our experience individually is similar. It's quite different. Is that depressed person also in recovery from addiction? Because then that's also something else we have to look at. Do they have a history of trauma? So all these things are mental health issues. And the way we really help improve each other's mental health is by at least removing these systemic things that we do have control over. There is no need for anyone to encounter homophobia. There is no need for anyone to have to encounter racism or xenophobia. There is no need for someone to have to encounter ableism, which is the centering and prioritizing of being able-bodied and really pathologizing and oppressing disability. Like that, that, those pieces we created, we then have power to pull them back, eliminate them and reduce them. And that's where the work is. And so we're seeing all of these black people, um, getting murdered and, and attempts at murder. And that's coming from white people, the hands of white people and the hands of white people attempting to use racism, uh, in a weaponized way, knowing that making these phone calls to the police is going to set up the person of color, the black person for a heightened level of oppression. And again, the possibility of murder. In fact, that's why a lot of these white people are making those calls, but we know that there is a very problematic relationship between uh, people that are black and of color with the uh, criminal injustice system, as well as people that are queer identified or gay identified or people that are sex workers, they have higher levels of violence at the hands of the police. And so we want to be thoughtful about not calling the police. And so how do we start to dismantle on all these different levels the racism that exists? Well, first off, white people are the ones that have created and sustained racism. So it's on our shoulders to dismantle it. Just like straight people, people that are hetero-identified are the ones that have created and maintained homophobia. Homophobia is not created and maintained by gay people. Racism is not created and maintained by black people. These, these individuals are at the receiving end and the mercy of it. So we need the people that create it and sustain it to undo it. And so it's on our shoulders as white people to take that responsibility. So how does that start? Well, on a personal level, start calling out those around you that are thinking or talking in a racist way. That starts to normalize and it can build upon that. It starts at home. In your home, be thoughtful about how you're talking about people of diverse ways of being in the world, people that don't look like you. Give yourself and your children encounters with all kinds of people by watching movies and the social media of people that are trans and fat and, and different races and different gender expressions. We want to normalize that, right? Because we start with ex exposure. You're seeing these things. Then you start to learn tolerance. 
then you start to accept. And then hopefully we get to a place where we actually celebrate, where we actually seek, we seek it, we want it, we see the beauty of it, the, the strength. That's, that's the further step. It's not just about acceptance, but that exposure starts at home. And so on a personal level, don't allow that to occur around you. Uh, call out shows that are problematic, call out friends that are problematic, call yourself out and examine where your racism exists. Then we go to a larger level and that's, again, the relationships you're part of, coworkers, your boss, your job. Where do you see racism at your job? Do you look around and notice that there's no people of color or maybe there's one tokenized person of color so they can say that they're diversified? Do the people that are black or of color have positions of actual power or are they just tokenized and thrown in so that the pamphlet shows that, yeah, we got a token black person, a person of color. Look at how great we are. And then on the larger social level, calling out larger institutions, media, the police, like we have to hit all these different levels. And it's it's on all of our shoulders. We are all impacted by this. And even if we aren't, it's called empathy. It's called not being a narcissist or a sociopath. It's called thinking about the impact the, your behavior and the world you participate in have on other people. So it's this is a definite call to action for us to take responsibility and accountability around that. So please, we need to step it up as white people, as humans in our culture, and um, really do the difficult work and have the difficult conversations, but it's worth it. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to talk about different forms of burnout. Ah, oh, yeah. My gosh. It's a new time, day. It's a new time, y'all. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, burnout, you know, it, it comes in so many different forms. And you know, frontline workers, oh my gosh, heartbroken, seeing the photos and the levels of burnout, the literal indentations and scars on their faces from wearing the masks and their levels of exhaustion physically, psychologically. There's also a level of burnout that can happen being a parent during these times where you're trying to both keep your kids safe and manage them. Also, while trying to manage yourself and maybe the rest of your family, while also trying to manage and stay employed and, and figure out your job all at the same time. So this is a conversation for frontline workers. This is, a, you know, EMTs, doctors, nurses. This is a conversation for parents. This is also a conversation for employers and employees that are trying to figure out that relationship. Um, and this is also a conversation for people like myself that are therapists that are on the receiving end of a lot of other people's struggles. And we're internalizing that because remember, anytime we're sitting in a relationship or conversation with someone, we're impacted by their experience. There's no such thing as um, don't take it on. Humans don't work like that. We do take it on. We are open systems and we connect and we can become infected with other people's experience. In fact, that's healthy. It's called empathy. It's called mirror neurons. Uh, Hebb's law. These are different things that speak to the fact that our brains do mirror and mimic and take on what's around us. Our brains are socially constructed. That is healthy. And that's why we talk a lot about paying attention to the level of health of those you are in relationship to because the relationships we're in, the conversations we have, again, construct our brain and our nervous system. So if you're constantly around negativity, you are going to be wired, geared towards that. If you're constantly around trauma and other people's trauma, you're going to have a brain and a nervous system that has trauma responses. It's called vicarious trauma where you vicariously through other people's experiences start to experience their traumas. And that's why we talk a lot about anyone who's on the front line or dealing with mental health. And again, that is also includes parents, caretakers, employers, all sorts of different roles. We want to be thoughtful about our exposure to all of this. We want to be available to the level we feel like we can, but we also want to check in and realize when we're getting overwhelmed or burnout, out, when we are constantly feeling anxious or not ground or dysregulated, even though nothing dysregulated 
regulating maybe directly happen to us, but we're around it all the time via the news and our conversations with our family members and friends and maybe also the work we're doing. So set those boundaries. As a therapist, after I've done therapy all day, I purposefully set time away from all conversations. I, I close off my system. I no longer want to be available to other people in their material. It becomes about me and what I need. And I need isolation and I need downtime. And sometimes I'll sit there and I'll eat my pint of vegan ice cream, watching a show that is something that just lets me kind of check out and I can just kind of dissociate a little bit and check out and it's soothing and it grounds my body and it pulls me out of all thought and all emotionality. So it's meditative. You can use masturbation and porn in that way or sex. You can use a funny, humorous conversation with a loved one. You can put on your music and go for a walk. I've done that as well. Or sit in the shower and play some music. It's all about hitting all the senses. And that's why to submerge yourself in water in the tub with candle lights and certain kind of music and maybe smells from the candles. I mean, you're hitting it all. And that that's how we remove ourselves. That's how we go to an alternative place by adding in all these um, triggers that shows we're in a different state or place and we transition in and out. And that's why I'll go to a different space, a space that's not associated with all this work and material. And just walking into that different room or walking out of the home and putting on your headset is just like your earbuds is this transitional moment of like, I'm now entering a different space, a self care based space, you know? And so I'm a fan of all the different sensories being around me. Sometimes I'll use essential oils as a way to just kind of ground myself. I'm a big, big fan of um, grapefruit oil. It's so energizing. You can get that online and at health food stores and it's stunning. You rub it on your hands and you just kind of put it in front of your face and smell it. And it's so enlivening. It has such a beautiful impact and I'm thoughtful about the foods I'm eating. And so we just want to be uh, really aware of that because I think it's easy if you're not a doctor on the front line or an EMT to think I'm not a frontline worker. And you might not be in the battle for the coronavirus directly, but indirectly, you're a frontline worker for your family or your frontline worker as that stable friend that everyone's turning to, or your frontline worker as someone's therapist or their teacher. There's so many different ways that we can embody that. And so just be very thoughtful about your own temperature, quote unquote, neurologically. If you're feeling thrown off all the time, you need to break from the news, from the conversations, from the work, and you need to focus on these transition into these alternative spaces. Maybe you need to surround yourself more with the foods that help you just kind of check out and distance. And for some people, that's the baked goods. They just sit there and they're smelling and enjoying the cooking and the baking and then eating the food. And it's just this moment away from all of it has no purpose other than feeling good, you know, and that's, that is value. Just something that's rooted in just rest or just rooted in pleasure. That is what's truly nourishing and healing. And that's why I talk about food and baths and reading certain kinds of books and sex and, and solo sex masturbation with yourself and just delighting and watching porn, watching people have sex in front of you and with you psychologically and just all these beautiful experiences that pull us out of ourselves and put us into a different space. And that's how our brains and our nervous systems get a moment away. So try to create that however you can. I know some of us are living in dwellings where we can't go to a separate room, maybe take a walk, go sit in the car, go for a drive, go in the bathroom. Sometimes it's just about laying on the other end of the couch with a blanket over your head and your earphones in, you know, or with a book. We just need to symbolically distance or remove ourselves. It doesn't always have to be so literal. So consider that one. All right. Uh, DMs coming up as well as question of the night. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com.
Before we slide the DMs, the DMs come from our Loveline IG page. So if you want your question answered on Loveline, slide into the DMs on Loveline IG and let us know. Or you can give us a call, 833-LOVE-001, 833-L-O-V-E-001. Time for some DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. And we want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. Dr. D, I've been listening to your show since way back with Amber, and it has changed a lot in my life. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I'm in a loving relationship for over a year now. One I genuinely don't believe I would have been in without listening to your show. Aw, see, I, it means a lot to me when you all say that. It honestly, truly does. I always feel so blessed that I get to be a part of your lives and your journey. So deeply, deeply, deeply moved by comments like that and know that I, I, I do truly care. Um, <clears throat> you've been in a relationship lovingly for over a year and you are thinking of moving in together in the fall when our leases are up. Congratulations. I've heard you talk about things to discuss during engagement on the show a couple times. But what about things to discuss before cohabitation? Are those talking points similar? First off, congrats uh, for a lot of people that say next relational developmental milestone to cohabitate. But yes, I like where your head's at. There are some things you want to talk about ahead of time versus just kind of bump it in when they happen. I've lived with many different people I've dated, so I also have my own personal experiences of that as well as clinical. A couple things. First off, I always recommend both people's names being on the lease. Um, you guys are in a loving relationship, conflict happens, expect it, work through it. But I don't know enough to know how y'all play the power power dynamic game. But for some couples, it's important that everyone feels empowered. And so their names are both on the lease so no one can pull the card, this is my place. So always throw that one out there. I hate that that even has to be consideration, but it does. Also, you want to talk about finances, who's going to pay for what. And this is really important to talk about ahead of time. Not everyone makes the same amount of money. I am okay with it being a percentage-based thing. If you decide to, um, everyone pays for uh, everything in a combined manner. Uh, rent could be whatever percentage the difference is. It could be 60-30. I'm sorry, that would make no sense. 60-40, 70-30, 50-50. Whatever you're comfortable with, be compassionate in figuring out what each of you can afford. Some people split all bills. Others divide it up. You know, I'll cover rent. You cover the electric and security. You make less. Less than me. That's great. Uh, make sure, though, the most responsible person is the one who's responsible for actually paying the bills. Auto pay is a really great idea. And then finally, I think another key thing to look at is the housework distribution. Who's going to do what? You know, some people don't like things to be this structured. Some people like it to be looser. I think it's a good idea to kind of talk about it ahead of time so everyone knows what they're responsible for. But outside of those structural pieces, everything else is just supposed to be kind of rooted in fun. And I leave it to your own levels of compassion to decide what color the walls will be etc etc um but finally i'll just say give each other a break you know living together you encounter little things that you didn't have to before like someone who puts things right away in the dishwasher versus leaving them out just remember there's no right way there's just different ways you know so be flexible sliding the dms is brought to you by our friends at trojan condoms because it's a big old sex world we want you to explore with confidence coming up next ryan sheldon body neutrality activist will be joining us we'll be talking about that cynthia nixon female uh video that's gone viral it's good stuff uh uh, listen to Love Line with Dutch Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. We're back and it's Monday night. So, of course, we've got Mr. Jay Rodriguez with us. What's up, Jay? Hey, you know, nothing. Just reeling in from my win and last night's family feud. $25,000 for Trevor Project. What was it? What was it like just being on that show? Because that show is probably one of the most longstanding iconic shows in the world. Yeah. So, imagine like you, Dr. Drew, a whole bunch of other people in your space. 
um, who are pleasant, kind, and love each other and respect each other out for blood to win money for charity. That's what it was like. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, we don't, as a, as the two units of Fab Five, we, you know, Tan said it best in a backstage interview, we don't really spend much time with them ever. Um, we kind of met them for the first time ever. We did like a People Magazine photo shoot. So it's weird. You don't know how you're going to be received. And when we did that photo shoot, no one knew who they were yet. And since then, they have millions of followers and have taken the world by storm as sort of these, you know, um, much like how it happened for us, these overnight queer superheroes. So it was interesting because when they greeted us the first time years ago, we did that interview for people. They were so gracious and kind and they've never changed tone since. They've always been so incredibly inclusive. I mean, even more so than the producers of the actual show, I would even dare even say so. I think the talent really lead the way, especially when the when the show won an Emmy um, or was recognized for, I think it was a Glad Award or something. You know, the producers were saying their generic thank yous. And then, you know, Tan France from the new cast, who's the fashion guy, he's like, and we wouldn't be here without the Fab Five. So there's a lot of love. And I think the bigger piece for me was ABC and Family Feud choosing to have the season premiere be two queer families. That was unheard of, I think, when this I was is, a kid. Yeah, this is... I don't think I used to watch that show. I, I grew up watching that and like the price is right. There was never a time when you would see any kind of gay or so no, it would have been like a fancy man, you know, it would have been like someone's uncle who you're like, maybe, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Because yeah. he's a yeah. little too well dressed, right? That's right. Yeah. And he had and a little sassy comeback every now and again. Yeah. I um but I also like the idea of being respectful for the people whose shoulders you stand on with a project you're doing now because you guys, you know, you guys put that show on the map and they kind of got to just walk into something that already had. Some- yeah. And that's not to say that they didn't um, just, you know, create something new off the wings of what we sort of set up, but the world was in a different climate. Look, the fact that this cast has um, a more really diverse, uniquely, um, intricate kind of Cassie says so you have um, an African-American a man named Karama who's my successor who's got two kids who's engaged you have Tan France who's uh, Indian from the UK who's married to a US um, guy who's Mormon um, and you know Bobby the fa- the uh, interior designer his husband's Asian so there's a lot of diversity in, uh, in just who they are in their identities and who they choose to love and the families that they represent um, and they're able to talk about in a way that you know Back in when we were doing Queer Eye, the biggest issue was marriage equality. And I know that when we were doing the show, even what, you know, we didn't have a universal, all kind of same point of view on it. Um, and, and in terms of our comfortability speaking about it, um, not everyone wanted to. So now here we are in 2020. And while we may have opened the door, they've really um, paved the way for this new generation who have no idea what my version was and and they've able to t- able to take things uh, slightly further because the climate shifted well i only i only know your version i have not seen the new queer eye i'm not i'm not the target audience i'm happy it exists i'm happy with what they're doing it's kind of like the way i am with drag race um i don't keep up with that show it's not for me i don't relate to it but i've been watching dragula which is the like raw version where they have drag kings and drag queens and it's you mean like a real drag show here in los angeles would look because <laughs> yeah. the winner of that show Lyndon cider is a dear friend um you know he's a lesbian partner and makeup artist oh i've seen and- Landon perform here in west hollywood he's yeah been- landon is is like one you know one of those people that's breaking stereotypes you have landon cider there's a couple of the drag queens that happen to be 
on par, if not better than the local queens here in LA. And, you know, there's even cisgender women who've been part of the scene, like Wendy Ho, now drag queen. She's a parody artist. She'll remix, you know, redo a Rihanna song in a funny, irreverent way. And now the drag queens are doing her songs as lip syncs. And she even opened for Bianca Del Rio. So it's really about just understanding that you know, when RuPaul's Drag Race is one window into uh, one person's view of what the scene looks like. But like you were saying to your point, queer, other, any kind of expression, you go to San Francisco and you really, someone invited me to, to a drag show and I'm sure someone uh, that I would have brought from Los Angeles might've been like, what is this? Because the gender expressions and the pronouns um, didn't always align with what you would think of from traditional drag performance. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about something really difficult. Uh, you're listening to Love Land with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And tonight we're talking with Jay Rodriguez, um, moving into our next segment. So I wanted to talk to you about what's going on right now, culturally around race. Uh, over the weekend, we had a lot going on in Minneapolis, and it was really interesting to see the juxtaposition. On one hand, we had our own president tweeting out, basically calling the people that are pushing for revolution and need to change thugs. But then, I love this tweet. This came in from the Tennessee police chief. He's white, and he says, and I'm gonna read his quote, there's no need to see more video. There's no need to wait and see how it plays out. There's no need to put a knee on someone's neck for nine minutes. There is a need to do something. And if you wear a badge and you don't have an issue with this, turn it in. And I love that because someone on social media was saying how it's not about how many bad cops are there. It's how many good cops there are that aren't doing anything about the bad cops, calling them out, calling them in, bringing attention to this. So before you even get into that, what are your thoughts right now about what's going on? Yeah, I would say that there's nothing happening now that isn't new or different. Why we are having this conversation so heavily in the past 10 years is due to the fact that many of us are traveling with um, you know, mobile devices that have cameras on them and recording because this has been happening since I've been on this earth 40 years. And uh, it's always turned into a he said, she said. And, and with, with that, because of the institutionalized racism that exists in this world and this culture, and uh, it, it goes, you know, sometimes spoken about in a gentle hashtag or someone trying to be an ally with a post uh, and saying, say this person's name. I'm so far beyond that. The visibility, the understanding is very, very clear. The actions around these things isn't. There needs to be things that um, where we are actually able to hold people accountable, not just for the justice, but have the conversations on why other folks are not stepping up, those in law enforcement, those in the DA, you name it. These are the people also, if I can speak more broadly, are people aware you can vote for your mayors, you can vote for your judges, you can vote for the DA. These are the people who are ultimately gonna be making the decisions on who gets prosecuted and for how long. And so you need to make sure that you get your butts to, uh, to, to vote for folks who align with what you want to see, the change you want to see, because they're not reading your Instagram. No, and, and I love so, that because I think there's a lot of people that are, are like, you know, saying I feel helpless or I feel hopeless and I don't know how from my home in God knows where we're living, like we can go about this. And, you know, a lot of activists were saying like, congrats on all the, you know, Facebook posts, but like do something. And that's, that's a powerful way to yeah. create a macro level shift. A hundred, a hundred percent. I think, listen, we all know that our prison reform system uh, unfairly treats black and brown men disproportionately higher for committing the same crimes. Uh, they are punished uh, exponentially differently. Even if you look at it right now with the COVID 
COVID situation happening in New York, the amount of disproportionate arrests or fines for people who are black and brown is higher than those who are uh, white. And the issue is that people are putting their own, you know, bias uh, through that filter. And, you know, some people who might get a pass at the park, uh, who might be different, you know, have a different complexion, uh, are going to get differently uh charged if they were to be in a more urban neighborhood and the color of their skin were darker. This is an institutionalized problem. You can, it's one thing to call it out. It's another thing as well to in the tricky, difficult situations and in your workplace that's corporate, if you really mean what you say, stand up for those on a, on a micro level so that this becomes an effective change and your words turn into actions. If you can't, if you don't believe in just voting people out, you know, if that's too much work for you, start by being a real true ally and speaking up in the times that it's difficult in the places where it may actually challenge you to uh, to where you stand. I think yeah. sometimes people are like, oh, you're you're just being too, no, I'm not because this behavior, let's look at what happened in the park. A gentleman sees a woman who's got a dog off leash in New York City, right? In the rambles, the whole thing. He kindly tells it her and she used his race as a way to kind of possibly inflict harm on him knowing that the, if the police would come that they would sooner believe her side of the story than the reality of it. And, you know, and so when you look at that kind of these people are weaponizing what we already know the bias is to hurt other people. Yeah, and I think it doesn't help I, to having this president. In our, in our earlier segments, I was just kind of talking about uh, a call to action and steps to take because, you know, as people, white people, it's it's essentially, and I was saying this again earlier in the show, that it's on our shoulders to really do the difficult work. And it's also, you know, utilize your privilege to the best way you can. And I was talking about, like you just said, the the micro, the meso, and the macro, like on a, on a basic level, check yourself, check your own yeah. you know, racism, right? And then on the meso level, Really call out all the different people in your life that you're in relationship to and, and don't think that, you know, a joke here or there doesn't matter because it lays the foundation to normalize this kind of violence. And then on like the macro level, yeah, any institution or organization or system you're part of, make sure that there's representation, there's power, that people of color have actual power in these uh, situations and also continue to call it out. And like you just said, like when it is most difficult is probably when it's most needed and matters most. Yeah, and I think it's the hardest times it'll affect the most change. Let's do, you know, we've all been in this situation, I grew up with it all the time, where, um, you know, my family, Puerto Rican family, you know, it does not mean that they were, um, not biased themselves, they were very racist. And in fact, you know, they'd be like, well, blah, 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 black people a hard whisper when they said black people. And there was always a negative connotation added. And it wasn't until I got to grade school where I got to see so many other races that I was like, oh my God, my family's totally wrong on this. So even when you're in conversations with groups of friends and they're talking about someone else that is other, in a negative way, even though if that person is not represented, that is your moment. And yes, it'll be uncomfortable. But through that uncomfortability, that is how you allow someone the opportunity to examine their words and actions and cause real change in the future. They may not say to you what you'd like to hear, which is, oh my God, I'm so sorry, you're right. They may give you awkward and uncomfortable pushback. They may judge you for speaking up for this thing. They're like, well, I didn't mean it like that. Or, you know, not you, Jay. You know what I think? We've all heard those those kind of little uh, tropes that kind of, you know, we think are, are meant to, you know, not be that big of a deal. But when you look at it, the way it's being played out in society right now, it is dangerous to not speak up for one another. All right. Well, we got to go. But uh, where can people find you? I know you're going to be hosting Santa Monica Gay Pride online. I think all prides are going to be online this year, which will be interesting. So where can they see that? 
Um, yeah, just go to my social media account. It's at J-A-I Rodriguez. That's with a G and a Z. It's got the blue check mark. Give it a follow and I'll be posting uh, tons of stuff. Plus, every Thursday is a free concert. So uh, come join me and uh, have some fun while we support artists working from home. All right. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. It's that time. Question of the night. Question of the night. Tonight's question was, dun, 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 how has technology changed sex life? It's changed all of our sex lives, whether we realize it or not. Some people, I think, were really just born into it and not, not aware of the time when we didn't have sexual technology. Oh, them days when you had, to go out, you had to go out of the house to meet people and have sex. Okay, so ways that technology has changed your sex life. Sexting really heightens the oncoming session. Hookup apps, guys steal pics and block. Yikes. Um, someone else said good info sources like Loveline. Ah, see, I like that. To grow bolder, safer, smarter, sexier, more responsible role. Oh, I love that. Positives, right? Technology changing your sex life. Someone said my wife and I send naughty texts and it excites both of us to come home. See, I love that. Sexuality, sex tech being used to keep intimacy alive, but also as a form of foreplay, right? It builds the arousal and the excitement, gets you through the day, knowing you're coming home to something. I love that. I think that's awesome. It's a good one. Uh, somebody else said ways that technology has changed their sex life. Being poly with long distance partners, tech has helped. You miss me, bae. Here's a pick of my ass. <laughs> I mean, getting right to the point, but that's adorable. And that's what it is. You got multiple relationships going. It's one of the really good ways to deal with them, manage them, be connected to all of them. And also if something's long distance, it's all you got sometimes. You know what I mean? We got, we were, we got busy lives, multiple relationships. Sometimes you got to double dip in the same pitch. You know what I mean? Group chats. Um, sex tech changed our lives. Someone said Fet Life gave me access to a community of like-minded people. For those that don't know Fet Life, um, the way I explain it, in short, it's kind of like Facebook for creative, diverse, open-minded adults. Uh, people whose sexualities are a little more colorful. It's good. People don't feel shame there. They can connect with like-minded people. So I love that. Fet life. Yeah, give it a try. Uh, but that's the beauty of technology, right? It gives us access to things that we wouldn't be able to tap into otherwise, especially for people maybe that live in like smaller rural towns. For some people, it's the only way that they can connect to other LGBTQ people to socialize and make friends. Because that's the other thing, you know, people talk about the sex and dating apps as just about relationships and sex. But for a lot of people, it's also for networking, socializing. There's a lot of people that have made friends that way. And when people are traveling out of town, it's a way to connect and spend time with people. Um, and sex has led and does often lead to friendships. And so that's a way to make friends, sex, and the apps. I think it's beautiful. It's, it really depends on how you use it, right, and what you're looking for. How tech changed their sex life. Someone else said it gave me one. Ha! <laughs> it gave you sex life. That's the thing. For some people, that is their sex life, and it helps them find one, and they can practice flirting and courtship skills and communication. Uh, so this person said it gave me one, and technology got me into the sex industry. I got to make money. And there it is. For some people, it's work. It gives them access to customers, clients. It's beautiful, um, especially since, you know, the uh, uh, the new bill, Festa and Sasta, that made it illegal to host for online sites to host um, paying for sex. So for some people, these apps are the way that they go about doing it. Somebody else said it has made it had it has made lying and cheating easier. Sure has. It really has. It's far easier and more covert. Um uh, other ways, it made it easier to steal to still feel sexually connected even when we are far. Yeah, see, I love that. 
way to keep them close and connected. Somebody else said, technology helps me with my hoe phase. Wink. (laughs) Me and you both. Me and you both. And it continues to, thankfully, right? Maybe I'll see you on there. But um, I love that. It helps people feel more confident and really um, work on sexual developmental milestones and exploring their sexuality. Not everyone wants to be in a relationship or wants commitment. And it's a good way for them to just kind of enjoy themselves, have fun. I love that. Uh, How's technology change your sex life? Someone else said, as someone who's very publicly antisocial, mixed with the common straight until proven gay assumptions, Grindr and technology has literally given me a sex life. Absolutely. Absolutely. For those low social, antisocial, it's a lot easier for people to reach out. And not everyone's comfortable in the world actively engaging in a same sex or some kind of kinky lifestyle. And this is a way for them to slowly and in a more private way kind of edge your way towards it. Someone else said, finding new kinks I never knew existed. See, you can learn about yourselves that way, engaging with people and seeing what they're interested in. Someone else said, I'm very introverted, so dating apps have helped me a lot. I'm not the type of person to approach someone face to face, ask them out, but I find it easy to hit on people online. Beautiful. I love that. Absolutely. Love that. Someone else said sexting helps me get closer to people intimately. I like that. You know, texting and sitting in that space allows people to sometimes let themselves wander and share more in ways that they wouldn't face to face. All right. Thank you guys for all those answers. You guys are awesome. Can take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to slide on into the DMs. See you back in a minute. Okay. It's that time. Time to slide on into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Here we go. Dr. Chris, I started dating a guy last year who was introduced to me via a threesome proposal from his now ex-girlfriend, which never happened. A year later, he and I ended up dating. Almost a year in now, it's become really toxic. Fulfilling fantasies basically took over, and our relationship went from something real to full-on threesomes only And it got to the point where he wanted to introduce strangers into the mix. I know it's toxic, verbally abusive, but that devil D. (laughs) My gosh, it just made my night. Just made my entire night with that. So now what should or can I do to move on or pull away from their toxicness? Please drop some gems for Sista. Okay, so number one, uh, I send out my heart, uh, my heart and empathy to you because I know how difficult it is when you're with someone and there's some component of it that's really keeping you in there, whether it's the sexual connection and chemistry or, excuse me, it's some other level of compatibility or interest. But I'm happy and thankful that you have enough care and self-esteem that you're stepping back and you're saying, is this good for me? Because sometimes people will rationalize sticking around in something and they'll deny that it's toxic or problematic or not what they want because of these levels of chemistry and compatibility or whatnot. So unfortunately, what can happen sometimes is when you meet someone and you meet someone in the context of something really kinky, you met them in the context of a possible three-way, you know, the other person gets really excited thinking, this is someone who's willing to go on this sexual journey with me. And it's understandable that you're saying, I don't want that to be the entirety of our relationship. And I don't want our sex life to always be centered around kind of pushing the boundaries and exploring. It can it can stress you out. It can wear you down. I'm not sure what elements of it are verbally abusive, but if you're calling it that, I'm going to trust it and I'm going to support you in realizing that you, you need to maybe leave. I always want to say first, though, that talk about it. Why do I say that? Because I work with some couples where they make a decision that something can't be changed or that the person isn't willing to change and they end it. Having never given the other person the opportunity to really be held accountable to what's going on and to really be asked 
and requested to make some changes. And I, I want you to hear from this person a no or a yes first. So approach them about it. Hey, we met in the context of a possible threesome. Since then, we've had a really creative, diversified sex life. It's not working for me. Or I feel like I need to say no or set some boundaries. And either I'm afraid I would lose you in doing so, or you've said you would leave me if I did that. Really say to them, I'm at a point where I need to take care of myself and this isn't working and I need to leave. It's feeling toxic. Are you open to making some changes? Are you open to changing the way we relate sexually? And if they say, yeah, I'm in, that's great. And if they're not open to that or they start to kind of, you know, say that you're sex phobic or you're sex negative or whatever it is, bounce. Because anyone who really wants to be in a relationship with you has to be open to being told that the way you're currently relating or the way sex is going isn't necessarily what you want. And they have to be open to making some tweaks and some changes. And so, again, you're using the word verbally abusive, and that's not okay. And so give them a chance to possibly be willing to make some changes and see if that's that can happen. But if not, you got my permission to leave. So there's my gem for you. Uh, all right, we got time. Nope, we don't. Okay, so we're, we're going to go. I had another DM. We'll save that to tomorrow night. But as always, hit us up on our Love on IG page with your other questions. You can always call in 833-LOVE-001. You guys, thanks for hanging out with me. It's been an awesome Tuesday night. I started the show thinking it was Wednesday. It's only Tuesday. We got a few more days, but you know, we got it in us. We can do it. Get through those days. I'll be back tomorrow night. So come back and hang out with me. See you guys tomorrow night. Have an awesome night. Good night.